Hello and welcome to Talk the Line, the new podcast from the line of best fit. I live for a pun. Start with a name and work your way back. We are the UK's biggest independent website for new music discovery and I am Jen Long. I used to be a presenter on Radio 1 and now here I am just working for the chance to get to meet the musicians I love. No, every week or so I'm talking to an artist about something that they are passionate about. Usually something that not even their PR knows that they are obsessed with. It's like a secret insight into the world of indie's finest. And this week I'm talking to Arnie Arneson from The Vaccines, all about something that happened in Iceland in the 1940s. Icelandic-born Arnie Arneson has played bass with The Vaccines since they formed seven years ago. Growing up in Iceland, his early love of music was kick-started when his dad gave him a tape of the Pixies' Surfer Rosa before he developed a love for hardcore and punk. After a dalliance with programming beats for an Icelandic rapper, yep, Arnie bought his first bass guitar from a friend with his pocket money. Arnie moved to London a decade ago and studied at the Institute of Contemporary Music Performance before forming the Vaccines with his friends. The band placed third in 2011's BBC Sound Off poll and they became the first artists ever to perform live on Later with Jules Holland before even releasing a single. He's retained his Icelandic identity within the band, even performing songs by the punk bands he loved as a teenager during their sets. And he's also had articles about Icelandic culture and music published in his home country. Now hard at work on the vaccine's fourth album, Arnie's also making his own music, which he says has come from spending endless days in his East London studio. He played his first live shows this past winter and describes his solo music as woozy sci-fi popicana and depresso tropicana. He says, everything I write sounds like a soundtrack to an early morning space-age pool party. We are sat in his East London flat talking about something that happened in Iceland in the 1940s, known as The Situation. So I guess we should start by talking a bit about you. Okay. And about your sort of background and how long you lived in Iceland and your connections still to Iceland, just to get kind of, I guess, a sense of how you discovered this story and, and, and your knowledge of it and where, where it comes from. So, I mean, what, what was it like there? Because, I mean, I feel like nowadays Iceland... It, it doesn't seem like uh, like a distant spectacle. No. Like now Iceland's just like, okay, cool. It's that like place that tons of people go for, almost like for city breaks even. Yeah. Almost like you would go to Copenhagen or you yeah. would go to Amsterdam. Like I don't think it's a particularly long flight. People, no, no is it two hours? Three. Three. Yeah. And people seem to go there for like a weekend or, you know, a short trip and they... Yeah, go to the Blue Lagoon and they go and look at some waterfalls yeah, and they eat some fish and that's that's Iceland feels doesn't it it feels quite like quite a normal destination. Now it does. Now yeah. it does. I but think, I feel like when I was growing up, Iceland yeah. felt like this other world. Yeah, I think it's got. I think it's just simply got to do with like uh, the economy. Basically, like when everything crashed in two thousand eight, was it? <laughs> then, uh, then. Uh, just like the prices of life size and were all of a sudden cheap and like your 10 pound beer all of a sudden cost six pounds and you know right. so i think like <clears throat> and there's also, also just like really clever marketing of a couple of like uh, airlines or something but now like you can get a flight from any london airport like three times a day or whatever like that used to that didn't used to be the case like mm. 
when I moved here, he, didn't, he never really went back because it's like a £350 ticket or something. Right. But like now, like you can get them for like 100 quid or whatever. Mm. Um, but I think that's going to change again. I think that's, I think like, I think all tourist destinations like are, are, are like in vogue for a bit, you know. Mm. And Icelanders have proven to uh, be a country happy to throw all of their uh, eggs in one basket and just sort of rely on a single source of income for basically anything. And uh, <laughs> we've seen that fail a couple of times before and it will fail again. So what was it, what was it like growing up there and how did you see Reykjavik change over your, your 23 years? Not... <clears throat> Not massively, in all honesty. Okay. I always grew up in, the, I was always in the suburbs. So like, apart from like a couple of years where I lived in the, lived, lived in town. Mm. But it didn't really change dramatically whilst I was there. It started changing very dramatically after I moved. Okay. Uh, so yeah, like the first time I ever went back over a summer holiday was like, probably after I haven't been here for like five years and it was unrecognizable. Like the whole place just, just oh, unbelievable. How so was it in terms of the people who were there or? Or the buildings, like the infrastructure. Yeah, no, it's just because of like, uh, rather than relying entirely on finance as a source of income for the, for the state, they were relying entirely on tourism. So, like all of the area, which is which is like now, uh, well, like which is now sort of uh, touristy, mm. that would just that was there was nothing there. Like there was. Like all of that harbour bit, there was nothing there. So that opera they, house wasn't. What there. were they relying on before? Did you say? I, I guess like like. Well, obviously our banks like bankrupted us. Right. Uh, so I think like we had more money in like sort of like sort of risky finance than like any country in the world, and uh, or I don't know. I don't know that for a fact, but you know we, we were pretty extravagant. But prior to that, it was uh, mostly like fish and. Okay. Uh, and prior to that, it was basically the arrival of the army. You know. Right, of course, yeah, which we 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 will, we will get onto, but we will get just, onto that. <laughs> I just think it's I just think it's nice to just when you when uh, like for myself having only really known Iceland for from from a tourist perspective. I think yeah, I've, have you ever been to? Have you just been for the festival? Or no, I went on a school trip, which was very strange. When I <laughs> when I was in like yeah. Or like a geology like class, a first or year of A levels, I think, for okay. geography. Yeah, geography. And we yeah. had like a like a really nice geography class, and yeah. everyone got on and was friends, and teachers were just kind of cool. Yeah. And they were just like we were studying like volcanoes or something like that. And they were yeah. Just like, well, if we organise a trip to Iceland, hands up, who would want to go? <laughs> and I was it just to me, it just seemed like. Like so, so many of my friends were like, we're going to go to Spain for our holidays. And I was like, I really don't want to go and like get pissed on shit vodka in Spain. And that's to me, just going to Iceland just seemed like this just amazing like life journey, you know, mm -hmm. like the sort of thing that you'll still talk about in like 30 years time. Mm -hmm. And I was so, I just really wanted to go and I like begged my parents and my mom was like, okay, you need to choose now. You can either like get like a car for your 17th birthday, like a, like, like an old banger or it was my parent, I really wasn't spoiled or anything. They were like, or we'll pay for you to go to Iceland. And I was like, Iceland, Iceland. So, I mean, I didn't learn to drive until I was about 21, 22. Because I went to Iceland. Wow. But oh, it, was, it was a really strange trip. The teachers gave us a lot of freedom to just, you know, do, do as we please. And we did the, you know, Blue Lagoon and we went on like, uh, 
hikes into different valleys. Like, it was one called the Thorsmuck Valley, maybe? Yeah. yeah so you we, went there? Yeah. That would have been really off the map for that, yeah. that time, yeah. I mean, we were like walking through stream, like ice streams, and our shoes were like full of ice water, and we were climbing up rocks that were really quite dangerous. And we went over to the Westman Isles. Yeah. And in like light aircraft, in like light. Oh, you flew in? Yeah. We wow. Flew in. And then they took us on a, I don't, I was like, oh my God, this is one of, the, one of those, things right it's just I'm, just, I'm an I'm such an idiot but I always have to prove myself I always have to like show off and we, we got this tour and then they told us that about this sport that they do they're called rope swinging okay yeah in, in the aisles yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 and so there's this rope hanging from the cliff face mm -hmm. and they're like oh you just climb up to that ledge and you take the rope and you just swing out and bounce off the opposite cliff and so all the like bigger boys in the group, they climbed the rock and they back and forth off the cliff. And then I was like, well, I'm not going to be outdone by a bunch of boys. No. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give it a go. And it was, uh, it was just such a mistake. <laughs> and I got up there and I was fucking terrified because it was quite high. And I just went to jump out and I, I just didn't have that much upper body strength anyway. And I swung out and I, didn't swing out far enough and the rope started spinning and I just let go because I was just like fuck I just let go I just fell straight on my bum and for about for for about 20 seconds I couldn't feel my legs wow. and it was that thing where I fell off and everyone in the class burst out laughing and then everyone went silent when they realized I'd fucking hurt myself and so then it's like I can't get up and my hands are starting to freeze because it's so cold and eventually like get up the teachers helped me get on the bus and then they had to take me to to a casualty there <laughs> who were just like you bruised your coccyx you're gonna be fine you're gonna be fine because yeah. I think on impact like your your the around your spine just swells yeah. to stop any damage and so I was fine, but for, oh my God, for about six months after coming back from Iceland, I had to sleep on my bedroom floor and take oh ibuprofen. My <laughs> I oh my God. That sounds like a nightmare. Such a dip. It's a pretty but, dangerous fool as well, I, I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, it was, they really did give us, a, 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 kind of gave us enough rope to hang ourselves on that, that school trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite literally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, that, that, so when I went to Iceland, that would have been about 2001, 2002. Yeah. And yeah, it didn't, it wasn't particularly tour. I think there was a no. top shop there. <laughs> so it sort of all, was. Like, all that was recognisable to me, really. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and then we went, I went back for Airwaves maybe 2011. Yeah. And yeah, it felt really different. Yeah. But I very. just, I guess I didn't really think about it because, um, yeah, because it had been so, such a long, long time since I'd been there, and I, I, you know, I was quite young, and I wasn't paying a lot of attention, and we didn't spend that much time in the city centre either. I think we just went in for like one day, yeah, like went to a swimming pool, and then around. had a little walk around. Yeah. But yeah, it definitely, it did feel a lot more maybe metropolitan than I'd, I'd expected. Yeah, <clears throat> it does. It does. It's got like this sort of, uh, yeah. I think I think for people that go there for the first time, do find it surprising how metropolitan it is. But I like. It's like it's like it feels very surface level to me, right? Because there's no history for it. Like I think the oldest restaurant in the in the city is like one of the one, certainly one of the oldest restaurants in. Like there's a famous one, an Italian restaurant next to. Do you know you know where that hot dog stand is? No, I don't. I don't. Uh, okay. Anyway, there's like a sort of a famous hot dog stand, and then next to it there's a re re restaurant called Hotnit, and I think that is so old 
that has got the age of uh, like age of it plastered, plastered on the building. This mm. is 1979. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I've grew up in a house in, in well, I lived briefly in a house in town that was sold. It was uh, and again had the age of it, and I said 1921. Like, well, yeah, so okay. it's a pretty sort of recent transition into yeah. being just a city in general. Mm. And I suppose uh, uh, another thing is, is the music that comes out of Iceland, that everyone everyone always thinks of Iceland for, for, for Bjork. Mm-hmm. Is, is she not Iceland's biggest export? Or um, something crazy like that? Uh, I, I've got no idea, actually. Uh, I, no, I doubt that very, very much. Okay. <laughs> but uh, she would have to be worth... Yeah, like 15 U2s to be like Iceland's biggest export. Right. Okay. I, I don't really know that, but uh, <laughs> but I would be very surprised. Sorry, but I, I like should, anecdotes. Should... Anecdotes are always fun. <laughs> I should have said Björk. Yeah, Björk. I always get in trouble for that. Yeah. Um, and Sigur Ross, uh-huh. of course. Yeah. Um, God, you've got loads. I'm, I'm, I'm blanking, but there's definitely a lot a lot of other... Um, yeah, there's a lot of music yeah. out there. That's like... It's that chap <laughs> who had the exhibition at, at Barbican. Oh yeah, Raki, Raki, yeah. Raki Kartans, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rassi Prump is his artist name, which just means ass and fart. <laughs> that's absolutely serious, that's, that's his artist name. He's a genius. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, no, that's, there's a lot of it. I think, I think there's like a very, a, I don't know, I think it's, it's just sort of steeped in the culture of now. Like I think it started out in the sort of the, like the late 80s with like a punk scene sort of, no, the early 80s, sort of a punk scene coming out of a couple of colleges in Reykjavik. And I think it just never really went away. I think uh, I sometimes attribute like the um, like the amount of music or like interesting music that comes out of Iceland to boredom because like we suck at outdoor sports for a very obvious reason. And uh, you either just become incredibly good at games or music, you know. And there's also because there's no, it doesn't feel like, like up until fairly recently, like the idea of making money out of music or like making that a career or even just like like getting anything out of it was so distant and so ridiculous that I don't think anybody ever aspired to it. And that therefore, like all of the music is quite, all of the music is quite carefree and quite experimental and out there and weird because it's just like, it's just expression for the sake of expression rather than anything else. Mm. Like you can feel it with like a lot of uh, music in in the UK or like the music that we we go and see, you know, when, when you go to like Shackwell or Seabright or whatever, like the like the bands that are there, they have ambition and they, they have like, there is, there is like a, yeah, there is like an ultimate goal of becoming the next whatever. Vaccines. The vaccines, <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, we set out to be the next. What did we set out to be? I can't remember. Probably, so we probably talked about it though. Yeah. Uh, we probably made like a list of bands that we wanted to, but I can't remember it. But anyway, yeah, so I think like, I, what, what is fascinating about Icelandic music and a lot of the art scene in general is that like uh, the, the scenes, because it's so small that there is no sort of scene that really develops that it's like exclusive. Mm. So like it, the metal scene just goes totally hand in hand with like a bunch of other things, you know, and uh, and people just sort of dabble in everything. And there's only so many musicians, so every single one of them is in like five bands. If you're in Iceland and you're good at like the trombone, you just you play every night, like with like 
you know, if, you, yeah. if you're good at like any sort of instrument. I mean, that, that kind of sounds like being in Wales, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I guess so, actually, yeah. <laughs> Wales isn't that far off, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's I guess is that, that um, oh, actually, I just thought of another, an anecdotal fact for you Go when you were talking, and that is that um, when Iceland was originally discovered, uh-huh. they named it Iceland and they named Greenland Greenland because uh-huh. Iceland was a nice habitable one. Yeah. And so they just wanted everyone else to go to Greenland so they could have Iceland for themselves. Fair enough. Yeah, because okay. Iceland's actually the icy... Sorry, Greenland is actually the icy one. Yeah, it's basically just a glacier, yeah. But uh, <laughs> that, unfortunately, we could we could just call this, like, our early dispels uh, anecdotes, like factual anecdotes. Yeah. But unfortunately, this isn't true either. Uh, <clears throat> I don't actually know what, what uh, why this confusion is there but uh i don't think it had anything to do with greenland because greenland wasn't wasn't found by then you know or i don't think so anyway certainly not by the same people as found iceland right because like there was just no like there was norwegians and like scandinavians that just went to the next island to the west mm. it wasn't much later that they this is like mythbusters this is mythbusters yeah, yeah icelandic anecdotal <laughs> mythbusters yeah but there's i think in people's minds here there's definitely a link between Iceland and Norway, Denmark, Sweden, Scandinavian countries. Yes. It just sort of seems like you guys echo each other's cultures. And, oh, definitely. And, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. That, that we're, we're like, we're, we are basically, to, to a certain extent, Iceland is to Norway what Australia was to Britain. It's just like a prison colony, basically, or like, yeah. So really? it's like it's like outlaws from Norway that were like sort of outlawed. Yeah, we're all outlawed and we'll be killed on site. They just left and went to Iceland. Oh. And uh, so a lot of, they, they weren't really sent there, but uh, there was a lot of people that just left. So a lot of the early settlers are just outlaws. Huh. I didn't know that. That's yeah. really interesting. And I guess, but I guess in that even nowadays in terms of the way that we think about, the way we think about kind of like Scandinavian culture is that it's liberal and it's invested in the arts mm-hmm. and it's kind of like... Um, kind of feels advanced, like a progressive society, I suppose. And, and may, that might not be true, but I feel like that is the view that a lot of Brits will have of Scandinavian culture, is that it is, it's progressive culture. I, th- I, I, think, I think that's true. Uh, I think in Iceland's case, I think due to the population, you can really like fire, get people fired up about an idea and it's pretty easy because there's only so many people that you need to convince. So like, like uh, the, the gay rights movement in Iceland, which is, which is probably like it's, it's probably one of the most gay-friendly places in the world. I don't, I don't, yeah, it's probably one of them. That sort of feels like it just started like in the sort of mid '90s, maybe, and then just like five years later, like gay pride was almost a national holiday, and it's like attracted 120,000 people or whatever. So, so everything is really quick. Like if uh, if there is, and also because if you think about it, like the society is so small that you need all hands on deck, you know. So like. Any sort of uh, excluding uh, uh, a social group based on like whatever it is, like gender or sexual orientation or whatever, is actually just actually quite damaging for the for the uh, the society as such. Mm. So I think it is it is considerably yeah it is quite progressive in many ways, but equally like I think we've shown and we've uh, proven of time and time again that like uh, we're pretty like sort of staunchly against like immigrants and like immigration laws in most of Scandinavia, certainly in Iceland, are pretty right. like draconian. Uh, Is that so? Yeah, yeah. 
So I couldn't go and live in. Yeah, 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 because you're in the EU. Oh, I course, don't know if you yeah. could in a couple of months. But, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but I guess that that's what makes this story so surprising to someone like me hearing it for the first time. Yeah. It's like, wait, just, it, it doesn't feel like it should have happened? No, but to me, as somebody that like is from Iceland and understand, or like sort of thinks he understands it, like I actually find it, uh, I find echoes of it still in the in society. Right. Like, I, I think so. Like I don't. Because I mean, a lot of the the, the young women are, are still alive today. <sighs> I doubt that very much. No, it's just that I saw a clip for a film about it and there were talking heads, but it was all in Icelandic. So that's the other thing is researching this is quite difficult because so much is in Icelandic because mm -hmm. it doesn't seem to be like a, a publicised story. So right. I think maybe it's best if you do explain it to me, explain to me what happened. Okay, so, so the topic that like, uh, this is a topic I've been like researching a lot recently and something that I've always been aware of. This is basically, it's, it's something, it's referred to in a sort of, in I uh, sort of yeah in uh, in Iceland as the situation, uh, and uh, it refers to basically uh, the period where the British army came into uh, Iceland in 1941. But what uh, was fascinating about it was you sort of need a little bit of sort of a back sort of backstory on this. Is that like okay so in like in like 1890 or something or like uh, some some sort of really late 19th century. Uh, there was a Danish photographer that came and took pictures of like farmers and like people in Iceland with like the most prized possession. And the vast majority of those pictures are with farmers with wheelbarrows. Like, like this is how behind we were, you know. This is at the same time as London has built an underground railway system, you know. You know. And the Icelandic farmer is showing off his wheelbarrow. Yeah. And <clears throat> people were moving out of the last turf huts in the beginning of 20th century. So we're basically just we're so far behind and like the sort of industrial revolution just never happened. And there was just like, there was none of that. And there was no real way of getting work. There was no culture in place really. There was, I, think there was, I'm not, I don't know this for a fact, but I think there was like one place in the whole of town in like the thirties that like had a license to sell alcohol. Like it was just like, the country is very behind. So with the arrival of a bunch of like, British soldiers that come with money and a lot of work. Uh, it just totally revolutionised the country. I mean, it wasn't. It was. It wasn't just a bunch, was it? It was about twenty-five thousand. It was basically the same population of British soldiers as there were of Icelanders. Yeah. Oh, well, not quite, but pretty much. Yeah. But I think, like at the time, like I think there were like there was just short of forty thousand uh, people in Reykjavik, and at the height of the. Uh, uh, British settlement, or the British and the American settlement. It was mm -hmm. very short. So it was it was Britain first, and then American sort of came over, came over yeah. yeah. And, and they sort of they held on to the army base until like the late two th like sort of two thousand something. I can't remember exactly when they left, right. but it was probably about the same time as I was moving here. So like two thousand seven, two thousand six, or something. Mm. So it was like a strategically important place in in the Cold War. But uh, but yeah, so they brought in like yeah. So at the height. The amount of soldiers in there was like fifty thousand. So that's like, that's like at the at the absolute height. I can't remember exactly when that was, but it's totally revolutionary. So like, like all of a sudden there were cafes and dances and like rock music and mm. and uh, there were things that just had never even just occurred to Icelandic. 
And didn't a lot of people move in from from outside Reykjavik? Yeah, because to all of us, all, all of a sudden, there was lots of work to be yeah. had. Like you could, like there's lots of people that just worked simply with uh, just like, uh, like, uh, like washing the soldiers' clothes and stuff like that. So all of a sudden, there was uh, disposable cash, there was disposable income, there was just things that had never been, and you. And yeah, and the situation as such is like quite an anecdotal and like almost always referred to in a quite a funny way. Is it refers to the reaction of mostly the male population of Iceland to the women's fascination with those beautiful little hunky soldiers, you know. And and it's it's, it's obvious. It's often referred to in like quite a sort of a humorous way, and you know that we don't have uh, surnames, for example. Mm. So we've got uh, like I'm the son of Arnie. Yeah. And uh, and like the anecdote goes that there's a bunch of people that are born around that time in the sort of the early 40s that just have like the the names of like because like Adelante, for example, is like a name, but it also means foreign or Herman. It just means soldier, but it's also a name. So like there's lots of children that were apparently born that was like just called Hermannsson because it was just like an unknown soldier or whatever. Right. I don't the, know. So the, the the reason that you do that, the reason that you you would have like Arnie's son, yeah. for example, as your surname is so that you don't end up dating your cousin, right? Because it's such a small population, is it not? So that you you know where everyone's family is from, so there's not so you can avoid. No, because you you know less by my name than you would by yours. I guess that's another false anecdote that yeah. I was told about the Icelandic names. No, it doesn't make any sense. I because... was told it was to stop you, um, you know, getting it on with 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 a distant member of your family at the discotheque. If you're always going to get on with a distant member of the family. There's like, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if there is a way around that. Right. And, okay. and, and that's a good point because the gene pool of Iceland was something that the men in 1941 wanted to like wanted to protect so there was a total like yeah so it was like referred to now in like an anecdotal manner but if you actually look at the facts and what happened there's like some some of the most like insane persecution of women by mostly self-described like morality police basically yeah and and uh if you think about it like as a as a woman in Reykjavik at the time like you could either choose between like the the stinking sailor that like like hadn't happened well it's like he was like wearing a woolen jumper and probably had like rotten feet or whatever where you could have this like really hunky british soldier that like knew how to dance and uh you know what i mean like it's mm -hmm. just like obviously there was a lot of fascination with it and i think the whole society was just totally turned around turned over but but so anecdotal or not or like funny or not like it's actually like like it's a total freak out and uh and like it was, it was no, no less than, no more than maybe like two days after the arrival of the British Army that like the leaders of the biggest newspapers are just talking about like, like sluts walking around with like, and, and just it's really like really dark, horrible language that is used to describe women. And then this ends up in such a frenzy that like the prime minister sets like a sort of a, like a law against uh, women of certain age, uh, socializing with british soldiers it was minors wasn't it it was it was anyone under 18. yeah but they raced that to 20 in order really? to yeah and, and they, they raced it for, to 20 for a brief period of time and all women that were seen with a british soldier or even just uh like 
suspected of socialising with British soldiers could be like was could we could expect quite a lot of heat from almost anybody or anything, both just from the society and then eventually from the police. Yeah, and it was just written into law. Well, there was there was one police inspector, wasn't there? A, a woman. Yeah. Who was she? Was like the devil. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. And she, I read a story that she would, if she suspected that um, that a young girl had been fraternising with uh, a foreign soldier and she wanted to prove it, she would even take them to doctors to see if their hymen had been broken. Yes. And that's actually be, what happened. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but like that's so there was there was she was basically given the. Uh, sort of job to sort of basically spy, like just like nationwide spying on women of any age. Like this this was between like 16-year-old girls and up to 61-year-old. That was the oldest person that she got a file on. And like a lot of these people were like engaged. A lot of these people left the country with the soldiers. A lot of uh, these people were pregnant. Uh, and also, well, I actually, we'll get to that. But, but so, so this wasn't just like some... Like like the newspapers were referring to it as like the hookers without hookers with like don't get paid basically like they, the, the Icelandic women were just referred to as this like immoral sort of uh, spoilers of the beautiful gene pool basically it was insane it was a total insane reaction but she was yeah she was quite a quite a big player in this do you remember her name <laughs> Johanna uh, I want to say Johanna Knudsen okay. Because there's a film where we can... I, yeah, so <laughs> I, I, uh, this, is, this is how, how funny, this is how, how small Iceland is, because I knew of the film, right? Mm -hmm. And, and I've been reading up about this because... Uh, so, like, every, the good thing about being, in, uh, being from such a small country is that everything is so easily documented. So, like, you can just go on a website that's just called teamarit.is, and you can just punch in whatever topic you want, and it's, got, it's digitized every single publication in Icelandic history. Uh, so you can just like go Austin or the situation mm. and you just get any news article that was written about it in 1941. It was fantastic. Wow. Yeah. So you can get a lot of this stuff. And I, I so knew you've was... read some of these articles yeah, yeah, firsthand. Yeah, 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 yeah. So well, they, they're just, I can just show them to you. They're like, obviously this is not for it. But, but yeah, just get them like this. The police officer was called the only Knudsen. You're talking about this film. Yeah. And I've got a funny anecdote for you. Okay. I was trying to get a hold of it and I've been trying to get a hold of it for quite a while. It's not available any, anywhere online. I assume you just saw a clip out of it, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, and basically the only way of like a pro of getting it is just to go to a library in Iceland. But obviously I'm not in Iceland, so uh, I went onto a website that is called ja or ja.is, which uh, has every phone number and the address of every person in Iceland, and I just called the director. <laughs> And it's a cold call to direct. No. Yeah. And uh, and this is apparently because I was just, I was asking around like people that I know that like might know the director and if they could mm. like hook me up with her or something. Her name is Alma Umarsdottir. She's a uh, uh, the the director of that film. But <clears throat> but I didn't I didn't find anybody and everybody just sort of suggested that I would just do that and I was like this is just so weird but that's just how people in Iceland get what they need. They just pick up a phone and cold call people because there's a website that gives you their home address and telephone number. Wow. Yeah. So I cold, cold called her and she was like, mm, let me figure this out. I'm not sure how it's easy to do this. And 
she sort of like wavered a little bit and wasn't sure how she was going to get me a copy. So my, so my dad just went to a library and ripped it for me. <laughs> <laughs> and so the, the, the film is yeah. about the, the prison. Yes, they, so, okay, they okay. Sent... So, so that's how crazy it gets. Right, okay. So after, after Johanna has been given the uh, sort of the basically license to spy on the, the sexual lives or the private lives of basically all women in Iceland, which is insane. Obviously, the, it wasn't as widespread as the men want to, uh, want to portray it. It wasn't like every woman in Iceland was dating a soldier. Yeah. But, uh, but, um, but she certainly got the license to basically spy on anybody. And that... Uh, she hands in a file and sort of with like with like names and addresses in certain instances of about 500 women and says that she suspects that they only got about 20% of it. So everything goes to frenzy. There's like a committee set of like put on to sort of, uh, uh, yeah, to, to sort of counteract this. There's a law passed. There's a specific special court put in place. Uh, and she is basically, she, and as she becomes like the, head of police. She becomes the head of police in the end. Or like certainly, I think she was, she was the first female police officer in Iceland. And mm. I think she ended up as, as the head of police. But anyway, she then, uh, yeah, basically opens a prison, yeah. So there were, I think all in all, there were 14 <clears throat> women that were sent to that particular prison. And that, those were for crimes uh, such as dancing with soldiers or, or, you know, as you said, you know, she would like grill them for hours on end about like suspected behavior or suspected like, you know, they had been suspected with, or seen with a soldier or whatever. And, uh, and, and if the women <coughs> denied, they would be sent to a doctor for like a checkup. And it's a pretty outrageous thing, but, uh, and there was like there's there's even instances of like somebody who's like engaged and pregnant, engaged to a British soldier, and, or or whether it was a British or American, I don't know, but uh, mm -hmm. engaged to engaged to a soldier and pregnant, and she was thrown into this this basically like yeah like moral prison, yeah. When the right. prison itself was quite inhumane and yeah, what I read, like, and they were kept in solitary confinement. There was a, there was a solitary confinement booth which had no natural light in it. <clears throat> oh. And they were uh, thrown in like if, if for bad behaviour because obviously, like what was, what was really remarkable about it is that like uh, like obviously a lot of these girls mostly which was which would probably be on the age of sort of like somewhere between sort of late teens and early twenties, uh, they obviously weren't particularly happy about this. So if they misbehaved, they would be thrown into this solitary confinement. Uh, yeah. And often on days on end, and like it's just it's a pretty fucking dark period in Icelandic history, and it's all just because of hysteria. Yeah. And uh, but like, but there's there's obviously other other elements here that are like make it even darker because if you like the the word documented cases of like sexual abuse, both by obviously both by Icelandic men prior to the arrival of the British army, and then by soldiers. And there are suspected cases of basically women that had, had been raped, then grilled by the police, taken to uh, a doctor to check if their hymen was okay, uh, and then thrown into basically like th like a farm somewhere or something. Because not everybody was thrown into that prison. It was like there were there were other means. Because that prison was only open for about eighteen months. Okay. But you're basically so so basically women being sentenced for having been raped by somebody. This is pretty fucking dark, yeah. right? 
Yeah, it's really, really horrible. And <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. And did you when you when you phoned this director? Did you did you talk to her about it? And did you did she tell you things that you hadn't that you hadn't been able to find out from looking up on, looking it up on the internet? No, what there is. She interviewed. She, the film is talking heads, right? The film is a lot of interviews with mostly historians and right, okay. uh, and mostly historians and people that like are, are sort of descendants of uh, some of these women. Right. Okay. Uh, but I think like like this would have been in 1941, and these are mostly people in the late teens, early twenties, and so I assume by now most of them are gone. They would be like really late in the 90s, basically now. But yeah. because they would have been born in like 1920, 1920-something. Yeah, yeah. Sort of pretty, sort of uh, yeah, sort of pretty personal information. Uh, it's only really allowed to. It's only really open to. It's not right. It's like it's got like it's like uh, it's only really open to like researchers, and and there's like a like a like a, like a disclosure agreement that you have to sign that basically means it says that you cannot contact any of the women on the right. file or you cannot talk to them at all. So Alma obviously has. Uh, access to those documents, mm. which is something that I wouldn't have. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't ask her anything about it spe specifically when I spoke to her, but her film is really like, is, is really sort of in, in detail. And it's called The Girls of... Try that one. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm actually thinking of like spending the rest of the evening just like subtitling. Oh, okay. Yeah. The reason I wanted to talk about this is because, like, I started getting really into the, into this when I was telling a film director friend of mine, Karan Kundari, uh, an Indian uh, film director friend of mine. It doesn't matter where he's from, but uh, uh, yeah. And I was telling him about uh, this sort of the, the anecdotes that I started out telling you, which is sort mm. of quite funny. And uh, and uh, he got obsessed with the idea of like sort of basically. Yeah, and he wanted just any information he could possibly find in English, and I started looking at it for him, and there was none. But in, but in the sort of, sort of at the yeah, as I was looking for information in English, I just found lots of very detailed information in Icelandic that has been a sort of mostly hushed, mm. uh, like it's just just how bad it was. You know, people don't really talk about that. Yeah, <clears throat> it's just sort of talked about in a humorous way. Yeah, the situation, you know, like it's like, but. Um, yeah, that's how I got really into the topic. I, anyway, I was re I, the, the the minimal amounts that I could find to read up on it. It was saying that even after you know this was all you know, absolved, the prison was absolved, and and that a lot of the you know soldiers went back home at the end of the Second World War. But mm -hmm. the shame, mm -hmm. there was some of the women still like they carried the shame of it to yeah, their yeah, grave. Yeah. So until you know what, 10, 20 years ago, they were still feeling the effects of the situation. Yeah. And there's lots of women that, that uh, committed suicide. There's lots of, uh, there's, just really, there's really like quite a lot of dark stories there. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely. There was, a, there was it's, it's been a part of like Icelandic culture ever since to sort of like find this a humorous period of time, despite the fact that it's just one of the darkest, it's like darkest in our history. But, uh, but yeah, definitely. Like despite mm -hmm. the fact that like the law then got overturned by the next prime minister and uh, and the 
like the prison were closed down and people weren't persecuted in the same manner, but like not like governmental state sort of sponsored persecution of all yeah. Icelandic women <laughs> stopped. Uh, I th- there was still, you know, there's there's still in the culture. Yeah, like the mm. men were still very, uh, you know, like there were all sorts of ideas about how to mark women that had been of British soldiers. So like, like, like. So like ideas about like shaving their heads and yeah, what, I yeah. read that was th- so that was even after this was after the end of the second it would have, war. It would, no, it would have been around the same time. Right. Okay. I think like the time that we refer to as the situation, I thought it was something that like basically lasted a lot longer. But I think the hysteria sort of is around 1941 and up until like the election of a new government, which happens right. like now 44 or 43. Actually, we got independence in 44, so it must have been around then. I'm not, I'm not really sure. That sounds like like fucking Game of Thrones. It sounds Like crazy. shaving your head and making you walk down the street while shouting shame. Yeah, 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 because you slept with, or you danced with a British soldier. Like, yeah. yeah. But the, the, that, I don't think that actually ever happened, but those were ideas. Okay. Like, but, but girls were kicked out of college. Really? Yeah, for like having been seen with British soldiers, but they obviously like these. These are uh, m- like like men that like on a day off have like a ball, and they would have like cars come and pick up the girls, and the girls would come in for free and stuff like that. You know, they wanted the company of the, yeah. you know, and so did the girls, obviously. So like the sort of the hysteria and the sort of Icelandic sort of male population. Which, yeah, it's <laughs> it was it was sort of it is sort of in hindsight quite a humorous reaction mm. that just went totally overboard. I suppose it's so far removed from comprehension now that it, the only way that you can really look at it is by trying to find the humour. Yeah, because I think it's so, right. it's so dark mm. and it's it's um, yeah it's almost incomprehensible. Mm-hmm. So it kind of in turn becomes this funny thing that happened. It's a really, funny thing that happens. It's really not. It's like, no, it's really not. <laughs> no. It's, like, it's really, really not that funny. But, but, but again, like Icelandic, the Icelandic uh, sort of uh, just, yeah, just the population of Iceland thinks of this in, in a relatively humorous way. Mm. I think what you read is, did you just read like an article and Google Translate it? No, no. I read, was, I read a Wikipedia page. Okay. And then I read an article about the film. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. I think there was like one other thing that I maybe did Google Translate. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because I, I, th- I thought it, you, you sounded like you were right, reading a really in-depth article, which is by this by this journalist called Maria, which is a which is like that's pretty like scathing, and it's like the when it was sort of I think it was written around the same time as the film came out, mm. but like the sort of the shame and the sort of level of guilt that like. Uh, the, the level of guilt is only sort of is only really sort of surfacing now. I think in the wake of like a lot of these papers being uh, declassified. Right. Yeah. And journalists being able to and go and search yeah, it precisely. And, and make films and yeah. such. Yeah. But there still has still today there has not not has not been a single uh, public apology by the government or nor the police nor anybody. Mm. Still today. Yes. And, uh, I think it's about high time. Yeah. Do you think? Why do you think that is? Do you think it's not just it because it, it, there hasn't been any sort of awareness of it from outside? So it's you know to people in Iceland it's this humorous anecdote. Whereas if there were to be more knowledge of it outside the borders, then 
perhaps there would be more people talking about it and seeing it from a different light? Or do I you think, think it's with generational, where people of your generation now from Iceland are starting to see it for what it was? I think, uh, I think, I think all of that like applies. I think you're probably right. I think uh, like outside uh, knowledge of this dark period of a story would certainly sort of push the government to make some sort of a public statement on it. But I think you're also right that like uh, I think the sort of this sort of the, the the depth and sort of the horror of the situation is only really sort of becoming apparent much later to like the broader broader public anyway. Mm. And I think that's a lot to do with that film that she just did. Right. I'm not almost it. Like it was a very popular documentary. I just wasn't living in Iceland, so I didn't see it. Right, of course. And it's, it's strange that it hasn't exported. Mm, yeah. I think I might I think I might subtitle it and send it like a send her a... Netflix. Yeah. Subtitle it and send it to Netflix. <laughs> I'd watch that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I, w I was thinking of like subtitling it and uh, sending it back to the director just to sort of say, sorry, I hacked your film. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I hacked your film, but I've created this new film, yeah. which you can now share with... Whatever, yeah. 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 Do it. I think it would be really. I think it's. I think it's a really interesting and an important thing to like talk about and, and acknowledge. You know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I yeah. When 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 you first told me about it, I couldn't comprehend it because my it, my sort of preconceptions of Icelandic culture has always been that it's progressive and liberal and yeah. and artsy and yeah yeah yeah. Just, you're just like all so nice. Yeah, so <laughs> elfish and so like kind. And That's like they, blonde angels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, and then we just uh, imprisoned our women for uh, hanging out with the wrong gene pool or whatever. Like, yeah. I don't know. Like, it's pretty nice. A big thank you to Arnie for sitting down and talking me through that absolutely incredible story. And a big thank you for the cup of coffee too. You're listening to Talk The Line. You can check us out on Twitter at bestfitmusic. Check out the website, thelineofbestfit.com. I'm at Jen Long on Twitter if you want to give me a cheeky follow. And don't forget to subscribe to Talk The Line if you want it delivered to your podcast thing every week or so. See you then. <laughs>